0: Hi, welcome to Payments & More, the Ally's show. I'm Nico, CEO of Elias. Each week, I will have a chat with successful women and men from the payment industry. We will speak about their business journeys and the lessons they learned. I will ask them to share their views, their opinion about the most relevant topics in Payments & More. My aim is to bring you up-the-beaten-strike stories, views and perspectives from a different angle, to shed new light on what's hot, in payment space and its future, we will go with the flow. Let's see where our guest takes us. This is Payment and More. Enjoy the ride. Today, our guest is Peter Bellet, partner at Allies. Peter was the global head of ecosystem risk oversight and strategy for Visa until September. So. He's been doing that uh, for many years, and I'm sure you all have to suffer from uh, visa regulation. Well, Peter is your man. Peter was also on the acquiring and issuing side at Santander and at HSBC. It's very interesting to hear about the two sides of the business, of course. My objective today is to squeeze those 30 years of experience from Peter. We will hear about his opinion on the acquisition spree from the card schemes. You've you've been noticing that the card schemes are acquiring a lot of companies right now. So it's going to be very interesting. We'll also have his view on non-card payment methods, which I'm dying to hear being a a person coming from Visa. And finally, he will give us the best recommendation to de-risk your payment business. Peter, welcome to the live show today. Thank you, Nico. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm not interrupting one of your computer game sessions, right? I'm told you're keen on on playing computer games. How is that? (laughs) It's going well, thank you.
1: It's the advantage of lockdown. It gives you the opportunity to uh,
0: enjoy passions
1: that you don't always have the time for.
0: That's great. So, Peter, you have over 30 years of experience. Uh, Only 15 years uh, is required uh, to be on the live show, so we are more than covered today. Uh, when is the first time you saw a credit card? Can you remember?
1: I think it would have been in the late 1970s. I actually remember that um, I bought my first computer. In fact, my, my my mother bought it for me and I paid her back and she used a credit card. And I actually still have the receipt somewhere. Um, wow. so, so that would have been probably late late 70s, very early 80s.
0: Wow. <laughs> that may explain why you moved to uh, to Visa. So your latest role was Global Head of Ecosystem Risk Oversight and Strategy. You spent 16 years at Visa and also 14 years in the banking side with Santander and HSBC. Uh, you've been back and forward between the schemes and the banking uh, side. Did you make a decision finally between uh, banking and schemes?
1: <laughs> oh, that's a fair question. The, um they both have their excitement and interest and frustrations of course the nice thing on the banking side is you have direct control you can do things that actually change the world so you, you can make decisions that are relevant to that customer in that circumstance in the scheme world you you are making decisions that influence usually so so you're changing things that can affect the entire payment system, but they tend to be subtle changes to rules, the the, the odd changes to the the way certain uh, products work, and so forth. So, so they but they both have their advantages and disadvantages, and I thoroughly enjoyed both.
0: So, you know, in every of the Elias show, we are giving an award to our guests. So it's my time to praise you. No, you just uh, relax and enjoy. I know you for over 10 years, and I must say, you're everywhere. Wherever I go, I bump into you. Usually you're on stage, I must say. You must be one of the most travel guests we had. How, how many kilometers do, do you fly every year?
1: I actually am not sure, but I did, um, about a year ago, I was surprised to receive a, a box from uh, British Airways, And the box contained a cheese board and some wine and some cheeses. And uh, it was their celebration to say that with British Airways, I'd flown the equivalent of to the moon and back. Wow. (laughs) And I think that's about half a million miles. So when you add the other airlines on, really, I don't know, but I can't imagine that my carbon footprint looks terribly good.
0: Oh, good. Well, the good thing is that uh, uh, you're all ready to launch a Card Scheme in the moon. If one day it happens, <laughs> right, <laughs> you'll be in the top list. <laughs> okay, we'll move, to, we'll move to we'll move to to a little bit the learnings because you 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 had a, a fabulous career in the payment system and in the payment risk. Uh, you know a bit about it. Uh, and uh, again, you're, you're going to speak um, as Peter, not with your uh, visa hat. And I must say, we are very happy because you just joined the StratGrader team. And you're now helping the merchant and solution provider to solve their problems. Let's start with you know this overall concept uh, of de-risking the payment system. What are the key principles? Because that's an objective that everybody has for years now. In summary... What does it mean? Discreting uh, the system.
1: The de-risking the system requires a number of different elements. There is an um, an overall principle, uh, probably at the top, which it, it sounds really an obvious one, but it actually isn't. Which is there needs to be the right incentives in the system for people to want to take risk out, and that means all the participants. So that both the merchant, the acquirer, and the issuer all need to want to reduce risk in the system. And you may assume that that's a given, but it's not always, because profit drivers, efficiency drivers, regulatory drivers, sometimes actually worked in an adverse way. And that doesn't always drive the right outcomes. So that's the first thing, making sure that the drivers are are correctly in place. The second biggie from my perspective is getting the infrastructure right, building the capabilities and the technology to ensure that folks have the ability to minimise risk. And, And actually, if you look back at what we've done in payments over, frankly, decades now, you can see the constant evolution and enhancement of the payment system. I mean, talking back to that computer that my mother bought for me back in the 70s, 80s, that was a paper transaction with an embossed imprint. Today, everything's chip or contactless, right? The infrastructure has fundamentally changed. And the third one I'd probably go for is, and you'll probably hear me say this a number of times, but it's so important to me, it's all the data. It's all about data. Folks actually having the expertise Actually, I'll combine it. Data and agility, that combination that allows a risk function to both recognise what's happening in the system, which means they have to look, and then having the capabilities within their organisation to actually act on it. So if you've got those three elements, the right motivations, the uh, correct infrastructure, and actually the willingness and the ability for a risk function to operate effectively, you tend to have a model that works very well.
0: So yeah, it's very important your uh, your statement on uh, uh, liability, risk, and motivation to prevent uh, this risk because it's a ball that's been moving around for years now. Where do you see the trend going? I mean, uh, because now you know with bsd two, <laughs> uh, it's moving well, to the issuer side a little bit more. Was it something overdue? You think?
1: I think we will see the environment tend to move back to issuer liability. I think that's where the regulation is slowly pushing things, certainly within Europe. I, I, I don't think that's it's ever going to move back fully to that environment because the need for flexibility on the merchant side, I think, stays very strong. But the I can imagine over the next five, 10 years that I think we will see the liability more and more in the issuer arrangement, and, and particularly as some of the alternate payment solutions actually drive behaviour that way, so yes, very much we will see we will see a return to issuers being the primary uh, responsible party for fraud risk.
0: Interesting. So merchants, because uh, you know we, we have a lot of uh, clients that are merchants, a lot of uh, people listening to us today uh, are merchants, but. It's fair to say that merchants did not always behave correctly. I remember uh, some years where, you know, some merchants suddenly had 10% fraud rate and and this kind of thing. So uh, there was a little bit of uh, blaming and fine game going uh, around. But now that risk is moving more on the issuer side, they start complaining because, hey, they, they don't manage risk anymore. Where do you see this ending? I think we
1: should give a little bit of credit to merchants
0: to begin with. I actually think that
1: merchants didn't really think about payments very much. And and if you think about when we first met, the merchant understanding, certainly in remote payments, to how payments work, why they work the way they do, how risk um, occurs, I think was actually very early. And actually, if you look across the last 10 years, I think merchants have grown significantly in their understanding and their sophistication and their capabilities. So the world has changed from them being very much a sort of an an end customer who takes payment as a service. And they're now actually a very active participant in uh, how payments operate. Now, now you make the point that there are merchants who have performed badly in the system. And yes, you're right, that there have been, and there still are, I suspect, merchants who are having problems in the system. Often that's because they haven't learned the lessons. Sometimes it's because they have ill intent. So, you know, there are still multiple problems in the system. Ultimately, however, we've now moved to an environment where the, certainly the uh, merchants who take the time to learn understand payments well understand risk well and the debate now really is much less about how much fraud am i uh, incurring or how many chargebacks i'm getting it's actually about optimizing that um, uh, the activity between the fraud and chargeback rates that are incurred and of course the authorization performance that's achieved. And hmm. Now, that's extreme. I mean, particularly in the digital space, that's where that becomes a very extreme argument. But that's much more the debate today. And it's actually a very healthy debate because ultimately that leaves the merchant and the payment systems and the issuers and acquirers effectively talking the same language because everybody wants to optimise that balance between those two factors. Now, as, as the world moves on, and we see liability change as regulation changes and commercial models change, products change and technology change, then I can see that that debate will of course change and enhance. And and I think that we will see the loss rates will go down. I I mean, there hasn't been an environment where we have invested. You, you, You take the chip environment in the car present space, the the loss rates in that space are incredibly low. I mean, Mm -hmm. really, incredibly low. When I started in the risk business, I wouldn't have imagined how low we could got those fraud rates. Now, you look at remote payments today, there's a huge opportunity in there. And given that you've got the participants who are now active, the, the folks who are learning and understanding the innovation in that world, I can see um, loss rates coming down, but, but it will be that debate—the debate between both the losses that are incurred and the authorization sure. approval rates—and and, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of a very active debate between the participants in respect of what the optimal outcome looks like.
0: Uh, that's a very fair statement because you were mentioning the incentive. Indeed, whenever a transaction is accepted, there is money for everybody in the system. So, so uh, Peter. As I said, you know, I met you in many conferences. Uh, there is something about you is that you were always open to speak to merchants. Uh, I know you were taking a lot of direct calls uh, uh, from merchants, you know, uh, uh, asking you uh, some recommendations or, or you know, uh, some advice. What what were the let's say the top three um, merchant questions you got or or, or claims or statements? Now, that is a good question.
1: I would put the main question, the top question is sort of a generic one, which is mostly I put under the category of why. Hmm. Why does the system work like this? Why has my acquirer asked me to do this? Why does the payment system put such importance on? It it was all about understanding. It was all about really recognising and building a knowledge of how the payment system works. So, so that was the first one. The second one was probably more practical. Um, I had a lot of calls where merchants found themselves at the wrong end of a compliance problem, where, for example, you know, there'd been a data compromise, or they were incurring high levels of fraud or chargebacks, or were uh, hitting some other compliance programme. And maybe this is a variant of the why, actually. But the we I would end up having to explain why certain compliance programs were in place, why they were important, why it was relevant to the merchant. And then, of course, that went on to the practicals of okay, what can you do about it? And ultimately, a lot of the problems that we see in the system aren't new, actually. We, we've seen variants of them before in other places, at other times, sometimes in other payment environments. So it's really a question of just adapting which solution is most relevant to the merchant in this space. So that's probably the second one. If I had to push for a third one, what would that be? Actually, probably that probably the third one would be... Um, a, Actually, just direct help. and um, Maybe I'm merging all these three together. But literally, can you spend some time with us? Can, can you open your doors? And um, actually, I'll tell you what i do for the third one. Actually, requests for change. And actually, I found those unbelievably helpful. It's where a merchant comes and goes, this doesn't seem to be fair. Now, sometimes, and actually, mostly, I would have been in a situation where I would have said, it is fair because this is why I think this is right. And usually we would have thought through the issues, the angles and the problems. But occasionally, I would have a merchant to raise a scenario and I, and I would have to say, do you know what? We hadn't thought of that one. And, and that that strikes me as legitimate. And in those circumstances, I could take steps to change rules, change programs, or to Directly work with that um, individual merchant to resolve the situation. So, so I would argue those are
0: the three bits that stand out to me. Good. So that leads me uh, very easily uh, to uh, my next question. Uh, you were mentioning, you know, uh, that you know there is more and more technology, data-oriented methodologies in order to prevent risk. And fair to say that. There are numerous players, maybe too much players in the solution provider industry at the moment, it's, it's kind of crowded. Merchants are a bit confused about uh, all these um, options on the table in order to reduce their risk. And suddenly we have the card schemes also entering the game and uh, starting to acquire a lot of external companies. And, um, you know, I'm asking this, uh, it's quite a recurring question in our show. Uh, what's the end game of the card schemes, according to Peter? Is it more a defensive, uh, let's say, uh, acquisition uh, strategy, or it's a proactive, uh, saying, you know, it's not working, so let's acquire the solution and make them work together? What's your opinion on that?
1: Well, OK, so, I mean, and it is literally a personal opinion. The um, I, I like all of these things, there's going to be a wide expanse of reasons why um, a given acquisition works. And it could be as simple as it's profitable or there's a gap in the market. But if we bring it up a little bit, I I think there are some themes that are floating through across the payments industry that I think are relevant. I think the payment systems are um, in many ways diversifying. So certainly the cards businesses have been very cards focused. Um, That's less true now. Uh, The processing acquisitions, the broadening of um, uh, uh, capabilities into the uh, open banking environments, the data based uh, acquisitions. Uh, There is just a broadening of capability and which allows payment systems to operate a much more sophisticated and and a much wider, um, uh, or provides a wider breadth for them to deliver capability. And and because the card systems are actually pretty sophisticated at what they do, Mm that the the four-party model and the three-party model to some extent, but particularly the four-party model, has a, is a very effective business model. It's, it's very flexible, very agile. Again, again, I mean, I've mentioned the changes that have occurred over the decades. If you look at those changes and compare it, say, to a standing order, well, standing order hasn't changed. A standing order is still a standing order. The, you know The card payment that existed back in the 1970s had nowhere near the sophistication that we see today. And so the opportunity to bring some of that capability into other payment systems um, is actually massive, I think. So, so, so the, there's a piece there. Um, the other piece is um, I, I think there's a big security play. If you look at um, acquisitions, you can see that there are a number of acquisitions that are directly security-related, um, either relating to uh, the ability to create models or to handle compromise events, or cyber events, uh, or just data and data manipulation and uh, creation, that there is a lot in there which allows payment systems to take this core capability and understanding and extend that with the additional data that becomes available. And particularly when, as open banking becomes more and more a thing, that's probably going to be really important to any payment system, actually. And, and I suppose, finally, there is here probably a piece of reaction to regulation. Mm. So there are opportunities here um, for payment systems to broaden their capabilities, which allows them to the ability to broaden their reaction as regulation changes and enhances. So so but those are the things that stand out to me. But as i say there are probably a number of other factors that are involved in in these decisions
0: that's a good point we have a lot of c level professional listening to the LI show some of them mentioned to me uh, is there a bubble a bubble in those acquisition uh, spree we are seeing because when you look at the valuation of all those payment provider uh, being uh, either going to ipo or being a quiet or even you know some uh, fraud uh, prevention um, solutions where well, the company is valued uh, very high when, at the end of the day, they have a, a very few clients. Do you think this is a bubble or, or, or this is something that will continue for years now?
1: You know what, Nico, if I can answer that, I would be a very rich man. I think some of the money that's paid in some of the deals, and, and quite a lot of them are not public domain, but those are occasionally you look at and go, Well, wow, that's a big deal. Um, particularly when the technology solution uh, looks thin, but but yeah. ultimately, sometimes these deals are going through for very specific reasons. I mean, the whole technology um, sector—you would have to say—has got a value um, which is, you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, we really wouldn't expect anticipate these the size and the values of these companies, um, will it continue? Honestly, who knows? Um, mm. I will look in the same way as everywhere, everyone else. But I also have investments in this sector, so I, I'm wishing them all the very best.
0: Good. So uh, you, you were mentioning diversifying um, and you know some schemes uh, getting into uh, open banking. We are not going to to mention the story with the played acquisition, but uh, you know, in our LinkedIn, uh, we will have some post uh, on that if you want to to follow this story. Uh, the alternative payment methods. Uh, you know, the first alternative payment method was PayPal. Uh, no, no, it's not a good definition for them. But uh, we do have merchants who are saying, you know, whenever I have a Chinese customer, uh, instead of spending a lot of money with China Union Pay, I'm pushing WeChat. There's no risk, no chargeback. It's very cheap. Uh, there is consumer convenience. Do you see those new types of payment methods, such as you know the WeChat or WhatsApp, for example, with uh, launching WhatsApp payment? I know that Facebook tried several times, taking over a big chunk uh, of the existing payment system. Those guys are going to Europe, right?
1: Yeah, I. I Again, it's one of those questions that it's actually very difficult to answer. Um, we, we know that there is a lot of passion about the Chinese companies um, and the um, the Chinese regime is very different from um, many other places in the world. the The payment systems that are coming out of China appear to be very slick, very integrated, um, very consumer friendly. So so the question is, can these guys build the infrastructure and the capability and preserve the types of liability and commercial models that work in China and effectively allow them to operate uh, on a ubiquitous basis in the rest of the world? I believe that they've got a really interesting um, consumer offering. And I actually think they do have legs. I, I suspect that the existing players across the piece globally will be looking very closely at the moves for expansion and they will be considering their own actions and options and opportunities to build similar products to be fair when we look at payments today a lot of the capabilities that exist within those new payment systems do actually already exist yeah. you can have um well i mean the card business model is designed to operate in so many different ways some of them are very slick and very efficient um, I mean, you, you mentioned PayPal in the intro. Um, pay, PayPal's product proposition has been a huge success. Um, I, I can see that we will constantly see innovation. I mean, the, the, the only balance, of course, to some of this is, of course, as the uh, regulatory changes come in. So we take someone like PSD two, which requires certain authentication requirements. Um, Unless that is genuinely is implemented with flexibility and with an understanding that a consumer needs to uh, be able to transact in a way that's sort of fit for purpose. I mean, you know, I've been in India watching folks order an Uber and seeing all of the complicated security they have to go through. Whilst, of course, in California, you just would click a button and, and the Uber would turn up. That there is um there is a need to find a balance between that security argument and the flexibility that the consumer and the merchants need in order to actually make the business model work. So I think the regulation piece is actually a big deal in this space. But ultimately, I, I think we will see a growth in new payment solutions. I think the Chinese approach may well be um a part of that. I'll be a Amazed if it's not a part of that, but I actually have. Um, I hugely anticipate the growth in payment solutions uh, from the traditional players um, to, to also play in exactly the same space.
0: Speaking about China versus Europe, innovation or not e- innovation, and and I suspect I know your answer because we know each other quite well. But EPI this new European uh, scheme that used to be called Pepsi, no, it's EPI. Um, I'm sure you're going to mention Monet project some years ago. Uh, what do you think is the aim? Is it like to replicate a simple system like Ideal in the Netherlands, for example, and to have this at the European level? Is it to compete with the card schemes? Where is it going? And I know it's a difficult question.
1: Well, it is a difficult question. I mean, my again, I, this isn't me in the know, so I, I can only answer based on what I've read and what I've seen. Um, the, the desire for a European-wide payment system um, designed around the principles set out within the Commission I think has been. I mean, it's it is decades old, and there have been multiple attempts to um, create something. Ultimately, um, the issue here almost goes back to my my first question. It's about ensuring that there is a model that allows the right sort of model to allow it to evolve. Folks have got to find it efficient. And, and, you know, it's got to be profitable, right? So um, a payments model that doesn't allow um, folks to make money and serve customers um, isn't going to work. Um, ultimately, that the existing players actually provide quite a solid and quite effective payment solution today. So trying to replace that or to to create a competitor, there's really a very strong question of why. What value will it add? What abilities will it deploy? Um, And and ultimately, of course, if you have a European um, payment solution of any type, um, what happens when the consumer leaves Europe? How, how How do they pay now? in which case it means you have a collaboration with one of the international payment systems anyway, I suspect. So it's one of those where I'm I'm genuinely interested to see how it evolves. But but ultimately, there is a need for uh, a demonstration that it creates some unique aspect is isn't just it's European. It, it needs to be something more than that. It's got to be yeah. commercially viable. It's got to be focused. It's got to deliver something new um, or certainly something better. I don't know. There, there, there's a lot of talk about it. There's a lot of interest in it. Um, you know payments people. You, you can always find payments people who are prepared to say, it's a wonderful idea. It's a great idea. We should do it. But ultimately, I'd love to see the business case that says, this is how it's going to work. I, I think maybe we're into a new world. Maybe with PSD2 and so forth, the rails would have changed enough that there is an opportunity for, for this sort of payment
0: solution. But ultimately, I, I'm going to wait and see. Good. That's a good conclusion. Now, we are going to to move to one of the recurring sections of our show, uh, your golden minutes. So I, I know you're fan Of science fiction, old science fiction. So let's say you're, uh, let's take Brave New World from uh, Aldous Huxley. You're the president of the world uh, or the president of the merchant community, let's say. What would be your call to action to the industry?
1: I I hope I'd make a better president than um, Huxley envisaged. But um, okay, I mean, my call to action for the industry would is really very simple. Um, It's about how you focus and make decisions. There are three things that I would cry out that folks look at and consider when they are looking at running risk businesses or in the payment sector. Firstly is just understand the payment system, understand what it is, understand how it works, understand why it works, that that knowledge of how the systems work and why they're set up that way is invaluable secondly make sure you've got your data feeds make sure you know what's relevant to you as risk professional make sure you know how you are performing in each of the segments and channels so that you have the ability to make decisions and you know if things are going awry the one thing that is the unforgivable sin is not knowing they're going awry. The third thing is this whole piece about agility. Make sure that as a risk professional within a company, you actually have the ability to recognise the problem has occurred and now have the ability to actually do something about it. So if I was president, my issue is not... I I wouldn't fundamentally change the world. I wouldn't fundamentally change how the payment systems operate or whatever. I would just ask folks to be professional in their jobs, know what they're doing, have the data to make sure that they are, are driving the right direction, and then have the agility with their teams to actually deploy controls. And if you've got a feedback loop like that, pretty much you're not going to go far wrong, even if you haven't got the investment in infrastructure and detection systems that you would like. The model is more important than the individual parts.
0: That's a great answer, Peter. If one day we create a university, you're recruited as professor immediately. <laughs> one <laughs> of the one of the VIP ones, of course. <laughs> Good. So one of the most awaited section of the allies show. We are going to move to our popular game. So let me remind you how it works and you will have the opportunity to help whoever is listening to us. I have a box on my desk, the Allies box. Inside this box, there is an object that is related to our sector. The audience can guess what is in the box. You can give them some hints by asking me one question. Whoever guesses what is in the box, can weed a week holidays to Ibiza for two from anywhere in the world so that's that's a fantastic price as you, you will recall. there's no whiskey in Ibiza but uh, we we can uh, manage that <laughs> uh, and and to play um, the auditors can uh, either post their answer on linkedin or uh, on twitter or any of the communication channel that the Allies uh, show has so, what is your question to guess what's inside the box, Peter? So I get one whole question, Nico. One. But yeah. of course, whoever listens to us can uh, can listen to the other episode of this season and have some other hints. So, you're summing up here. Oh, okay. All right, then.
1: Okay. So, so uh, my question would be, does the item in your box contain a microchip?
0: Yes. So that's a very important hint. Very good. Yeah, I I can give a second hint. It's not a card. (laughs) 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 Good. Thank thank you very much for your help, Peter. A few personal questions now. Uh, I'm sure along your career, I mean, over 30 years, there have been some moments where you failed and you had some learning out of it. Uh, Do you recall one, one of those instances?
1: Oh yeah, there, there are always instances. I, a, a manager who hasn't failed isn't a very good manager. So yes, it, yeah, there, there's been various scenarios through my life where things
0: haven't gone entirely to plan. Do you do you want me to think through of, one? Of course, I want to know all your secrets, Peter.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, the,
1: the 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 one that I, I yeah, as always with these sort of stories. Um, the issue is about um, uh, pre- preserving the secrecies of um, uh, of others uh, who may have been involved in the story uh, but 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 I did have a circumstance um, where I was involved in uh, a new role actually um, where within three months, I recognized that there was going to be, a very significant uh, failure uh, within the company that I was working, and I was—I I went to my boss at the time and said, "Look, this is going badly wrong. This can only end one way," and uh, he refused to listen, um, and basically said, "No, I'm—I'm I'm entirely satisfied." Um, things are not, uh, yeah, it'll work itself out. You you don't understand. And, and it's one of those where um, the question was, should I go to my boss's boss and pour out my heart? And,
0: and, and
1: I didn't. I didn't do that. And I said, okay, all right, you're, you're the boss. If that's how you feel, then fine. I I, I will trust your judgment. Um, now, now, ultimately, what I predicted happened very significantly. I actually wrote a, a report at the time, um, which I copied to a number of people, um, saying this is what I think would happen, this is what I think we need to do to solve it. But nonetheless, that was enough to save my career, but it wasn't enough to forestall the, the problem. So, so my, my lesson there that I took away was ultimately... If you believe in your abilities and your assessments, then you should be prepared to stand up and say what's right, even if you there are potential consequences, even if it's going to irritate your line, because ultimately that's more important to the organisation than you know a personal uh, relationship. And, and and that's sort of my regret, and that's what I took away. And, and I did you know, henceforth, you you know that I haven't been slow to make a point if I feel it needs to be made. That is what the um, that all led from my experience and my knowledge that I didn't position things as well as I could for the organization and my attempt to make sure that I learned from that problem.
0: Uh, that's that's very interesting, and and fair to say that in many projects we are involved there is always on the way um, the how to convince my line manager question. I think and it has to do with the fact uh, that payment and front manager are not uh, always recognized at their fair value. But indeed, it's, it's, it's a great learning uh, for us. Final question, very personal. If somebody wants to thank you for your service to the industry, what present should they send to you? <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, be ready to give your address by private message. <laughs> well,
1: well, here's the thing. i I'm. If there is, there, there is a particular whiskey. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a great fan of um, Lagavulin in on Isla, and uh, Lagavulin make what they call a. I think it's the Distillery Reserve. It's their the bottle that they only sell from their own distillery. And it's the only whiskey that I've ever bought by the case, which is only six bottles in whiskey, by the way. But nonetheless, is not often... I've never bought six bottles of whiskey before of the same brand. And if anybody ever wants to show their appreciation to me, a bottle of Distiller's Lagavulin... Actually, the, the standard expression of the Lagavulin is also excellent. But Lagavulin whiskey is, I think, superb. And and that's I always take that as a wonderful sign of appreciation.
0: Uh, note well taken, Peter. It sounds like you have a, quite a collection of whiskey, right? From what I'm listening or I've reading between got, the lines.
1: <laughs> as it happens, I've got about 120 bottles of whiskey at my cool. home. My wife tells me that i'm only allowed to have 20 bottles open at one time which which actually is quite a thing because once if you've got 20 bottles of whiskey that's a lot of whiskey to drink to get to the end of one bottle if you see what i mean so we've got to a point now where the question is are all the bottles of whiskey in stock drinking whiskey or are they an investment Uh. (laughs) that that creates great angst to me every time i go to open a new bottle of whiskey should i really be
0: opening this one but uh, well in any case Peter, the allies team is very happy to share with you if you have a stock issue. so you know count on us to, to support you in that duty. Thank Thanks. you very much for being uh, in the allies show today. You can find Peter on LinkedIn of course or you can uh, find him in a camper van as well because I know it's one of his uh, passion or you can get in touch with uh, the allies team to get in touch with Peter. And finally, one word, one last word of recommendation to the stakeholders of the industry. Just one.
1: One word. Okay. Uh, data. Look at your data. Data is everything. Um, so uh, that that would be my one word. Just please look at your data.
0: Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you for listening to the Allies Show and looking forward to our next guest.
1: Thank you very much indeed, Okay, It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for joining Payments & More, the Alive show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as we did, please share this podcast with your network. Leave us a five-star review, of course, and subscribe now to Payments & More in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is the best way not to miss any episode with great guests. You can find more information about our guests today and how to connect in the show notes or on Allies website. Last, i love to hear from you. Please let me know your suggestion for the next episodes, guests to interview, topics to address, or questions you'd like me to ask to our guests. In our allies LinkedIn page or in the comment section of this podcast. See you in the next episode of Payments & More. I'm Nico. We are lives.